In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Manhood is a choice. You know, men come in all shapes and sizes. A man can own a lifted four-wheel drive pickup. A man can drive a Prius. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is for you to become your best by calling you in to the arena of manhood, calling you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and calling you up to your absolute best version of you. Because when you get it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Guys, thank you for listening to this episode of Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and I'm here with the Mixmaster producer, co-host, backbone of the Men in the Arena, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? Doing awesome. Hey guys, we got a little uh, something a little bit different for you this morning. Uh, we want to talk to you about my newest book called The Man Card, Five Characteristics Separating Men from Boys. Hey guys, we have not used any gimmicks to promote this book. Like I got an email yesterday saying, if you go and buy my book and I get 200 people to buy my book on Amazon, I get a five-star rating and a bestseller on Amazon. We really don't care about uh, what things look like. We care about truth. We care about uh, really impacting and helping men along in the journey. So we did not use any gimmicks. We are self-published, but we have a resource in our hand that we think is excellent uh, as a as a life changing component for men, and we just want to sit back and and talk to you about that book today. And we have not done that very much. We haven't promoted the book very much, but uh, we just think it's a, a wonderful, wonderful resource for men. So I'm going to in just one second turn the mic over to Dale Culver. He has some questions he's going to ask me. But before we do that, you may have noticed something a little bit different. It is the new year. And uh, we're doing some things different. We have done a complete rebranding of our organization. And the Great Hunt for God, we're now using the phrase men in the arena for everything. Men in the arena podcast, men in the arena uh, uh, Facebook forum, men in the arena website, men in the arena app. Everything is going to men in the arena. My email is now jim at meninthearena.org. Our website is now www.meninthearena.org. And so we are having these new changes. And I'm really excited about this, Dale. How do you feel about all this? I love it, man. It gives me something to do because I've been <laughs> not doing a whole lot, sitting around yeah. eating bonbons. So, yeah, yeah, you went from no. bored to uh, lisinopril. No, as <laughs> a little a, high blood pressure medicine. As a guy, you know, you can get into a routines of doing everything, mm-hmm. and this has just been like, oh man, hey, we're throwing some gasoline on what you're doing. 
So yeah. I'm excited. This thing's really getting fired up. And guys, we want to we want to invite you to get onto our website and go get a copy, a free copy of my field guide, which oh, is the bathroom yeah. book for men. We just want to uh, help you guys in any way we can. Also, want to know if you're a struggling physically and you want a goal on uh, June, June, I think 22nd, yeah. 23rd, we are doing our second annual Death Ruck. It's going to be about 42 miles and 7,500 feet of gain. We're hiking to and through Timbuktu, Oregon. So go to the Facebook page Oregon Death Ruck get on there uh, save the date and uh we're going to have a phenomenal time I'm really really excited about this event we got a core group of guys and we have a female who's uh, helping on our leadership team and she's amazing as well and uh we're this event is for you and your significant other bring her along as well and we just have a great time so I'm going to turn the mic over to my buddy Dale Culver well first of all I'm going to come up with a man word for you Ooh. because and we've never used this word and I'm going to use it today Can so I have to use a, a man word for the book I wrote yeah I'm going to go with the word definition <laughs> did I get it no oh come on you can't say man card so simple the man word is man man oh. <laughs> ah. why did you pick that word well because everything we do talk surrounds the man mm. talking about mm -hmm. the man and what it looks like to be the man. Uh, and live like a man and, and not a boy. It's yeah. the complete opposite of that. And so it's so important for us to uh, strive each day. When you wake up and look in the mirror and go, am I going to choose to be a man today or a boy? Yeah. And, so, uh, and that's what the book's about. It's, it's a, a manhood is a choice. You know, men come in all shapes and sizes. A man can own a lifted four-wheel drive pickup. A man can drive a Prius. On my great hunt for God, or in my virtual team, men in the arena virtual team, I'm got getting used to it. I've got a guy on there who has a Prius. I've got a guy on there who has a lifted four-wheel drive truck. You know, you can be a little cat lover sitting on your lap and be a man. You can be a big dog horse horseback riding guy kind of man. You can be a big muscular bodybuilder man. You can be a skinny little computer guy to be a man. You know, men come in all shapes and sizes, but... This book is written to help men understand what what is a man besides the superficial tangibles that we see. What are the intangible components that separate men from boys? And I'll tell you what, Dale, we live in a real confused time. I just filled out a form for a college scholarship, a college scholarship fund for my granddaughter, and it listed for sex like my sex, male, female, male, or don't identify with either. I could have checked a third box. God love Oregon. And I just thought, you know, men are confused about their identity. And this book was written to help men understand, hey, this is what a man is. And this is a target I have to shoot at. And when we wrote the book, we wanted the book to transcend. And I know this is going to make people weird who are, who, who are Christian church people. It needs to transcend religion. It needs to transcend um, demographics needs to transcend geographic. It needs to transcend race. It needs to transcend history. So we want to come up with a definition of manhood that transcends all of those things, and you could put it together and say, this is a man, no matter where you live, no matter where you're from, no matter what you believe, this is the pinnacle of manhood. That's good. I like it. Well, let me ask you some questions. We're just going to dive right in here. Let's do it, baby. Book. And, and I got to say, I read the book. We were flying, I believe, to Boston. And once we left Seattle, I started reading the book. And I had over half of it read by the time, and I watched a movie, by the time we landed in Boston. And then we went back a week or so later, and I finished the book in the same flight. Well, and that's the beauty of the book, is that I've written the book, and I write all of my stuff for men who typically don't read. Barnes I and typically Noble don't read. <laughs> Barnes and Noble did a study and they found that 70% of their book buyers were women. 
So men read, but they read their uh, how to fix my gun manual. They read, you know, how to start my motorboat, my boat engine, or or they, they read about how to have the perfect golf swing. They read about things they're passionate about, but most guys don't just pick up a book and read it. And so this and every book I've written is for guys who don't read books. And so this book is 50,000 words. So it's as big as any 250-page book you would buy. But what we've done is we've put it into a smaller size book with smaller fonts so it doesn't intimidate the guys. And it's laced with story after story so guys are engaged in the book itself. So it's not a bunch of theological, intellectual terms that a lot of these Christian books are today. They're these over-educated intellectuals who have no idea about how to live in the real world. And so guys don't get engaged with that book. This book is from a real guy who does real life in real time, and it's written for that guy who's out on the construction site, who's pouring a cement slab, who's putting the electrical uh, cir- you know, circuits and wiring in a house. It's written for that guy who doesn't have a lot of time. It's written for the guy in the bubble mm-hmm. who's saying, I don't have a lot of time, but I want to sit down and read a book that has a high punch, high impact in my life. Or that business <clears throat> dude that's on a plane, you can throw this in real easy in your computer bag and power through that sucker and get some great nuggets. Well, I have one of my uh, friends, he said, hey, this is the perfect size. I'm going to throw it in my backpack and take it on my wilderness elk hunt in Colorado this year mm-hmm. And because uh, it's a smaller book. It's not real thick, but it's the font is small, so it has all of the impact of a big book with a smaller font. But not to scare those who uh, need reading glasses, you'll still be able to see the font. Yeah, that's the only problem. If you're an over 40 guy and you have your reading glasses, uh, you're going to need to bring them on this deal because the, the, the font is fairly small. All right, so why? Why the book? Why did you decide to write the man card? Yeah, I'll tell you, bro, you and I know after 25 years of working with high school students and middle school students and their parents and being in church life and and coming from a family that does not attend church, I've just realized that men are so confused about what a man is, especially we're living in a world now, Dale, where 40% of children are born out of wedlock. Mm-hmm. We're living in a world where I think that it's now 57% of first marriages end in divorce, 64% of second marriages end in divorce, 73% of third marriages end in divorce. We, And here's the other thing. We live in an egalitarian society. So since, since the uh, Industrial Revolution, so since around the 1950s, we've seen this movement away from rural agricultural life and into uh, urbanization and cities. And so because of that, it's re- it's brought the women into the workforce. I'm a big fan of women's rights. I'm an egalitarian type of guy. I'm a fan of, hey, women, do what you're called to do. I'm very, very, very pro-woman. My wife is a strong woman. I'm a big fan of strong women. I think weak women, you know, women who spread their legs just to get love, these women are hurting our country and they're hurting men. The West was won in the 1800s by strong women who tamed the men. It's called the Victorian age. So I'm all about that. But with women joining the workforce, now women and men work side by side, and their salaries are very equal. It's, it's getting better for the women. And what has happened is now men who find their identity in their work, they don't have a way to identify with their manliness now. And so this is an issue. You know, in the Bible— In Genesis, God made Adam, I just read this this week, God made Adam in the wilderness, and he put him in the garden, right? And before the fall, before he even created Eve, God told Adam, I want you to cultivate the land. In other words, I want you to work. I want you to do something. In fact, God himself gave us an example when he he created the universe. On the seventh day, it says, and God rested from his work. Well, 
when you read that Genesis account, God never tells Eve to cultivate the land or to work, but he tells Adam this. And so Adam, as uh, the first and original pre-fall man, this is theologically important, is, is called and commissioned to work. In other words, men, we're wired for work. We identify with work. Uh, for guys, if we don't have work, we have we don't have a purpose. A lot of men statistically die after retirement because they lose purpose. Their purpose is found in their work. We live in a culture now that has put women and men on the same playing field as far as careers go. So now a man comes home and now he's equally sharing loads with his wife. He's doing the cooking. He's cleaning. He's helping his wife. They have it. They 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 split incomes. You and your wife are the same way. You guys are pretty similar in income. Shanna's bringing in a substantial income now. And so if a man identifies with his career as who he is, he gets in, he's now confused. Mm-hmm. Now you put on top of that all of the messages that we get from churches who don't budget resources for men, who cater to the women, and a, a media who vilifies men. I mean, they're, they're, this toxic masculinity phrase that people are throwing around, you don't see toxic femininity. I mean, you hear the word misogynist, misogynist all the time, uh, describing a woman hater, but you never hear the word misandrist, <laughs> the man hater, right? right? Oh, we'd never say that to her, you know, because she's, you know, but we've vilified men. We've literally and actually marginalized men. I'm writing an article in the Northwest Christian News on the marginalization of men, and it's going to unleash a hornet's nest. But men have been marginalized by our churches. Our churches are the biggest villain in all of this. We've marginalized men. We've put them at the edge of the the literature, at the edge of the text. They're kind of an afterthought. Uh, we have, in the media, made them less than. And so men are confused. And I'm not blaming any of these groups, Dale. This book is not a whiny book. This is a book about, this is out there, but what is a man? What does he do? And so I wrote this book so men would go, okay, this is the hill I'm climbing. This is the target I'm shooting. This is what a man is, and this is what a man does. And I have not read... I mean, we're looking at my bookshelf there. There's hundreds of books up there written just on manhood, and not one of them focuses solely on identifying a definition of manhood. Well, and you got you've definitely well read. I know this that you, and especially now that we're podcasting, you read yeah. every guy's oh, books before yeah. we podcast them. So you're you're probably this year will be have read more books than you've ever read in your career. Yeah, I'm assuming, but it'll be close to. 40, 30 to 40. Okay, yeah. <laughs> With that all being said, what makes you a, a, like an authority on manhood? Is it yeah, you, you know what's really funny? I, big I, muscles, and yeah. you do drive a truck, and you hunt. And... <laughs> well, you know, that's funny because uh, I was sitting in a coffee shop in Sisters, Oregon in 2010. I was really reflecting on my life. And I was reading, a, I was drinking a cup of coffee, and there was a quote from a a guy who lived around 185 A.D., Saint. Now, some people call him Saint Irenaeus, but me and my redneck version, I just call him Saint Irenaeus. So whatever you want to call this guy, I don't care. But the quote said, the glory of God is a man fully alive. So as I was staring at that cup, I thought, okay, God, I've been working with teenagers. I've had this, I had this miraculous experience after a football injury. Uh, I had knee surgery, and I got overdosed by the anesthesiologist. Uh, my eyes swelled shut for three days, so I'm in here blind for three days. I'm a 19-year-old kid. I've never heard the voice of God, but I heard the voice of God in ICU say, I want you to make a difference in the lives of teens. So I had this Damascus experience. So for the next 25 years, I committed my life to ministering to teenagers, and from two, 18, uh, 1985 until 2012, I actually I ended up going to about 2014, I ended up working with teenagers. Well, as God is changing my heart towards men, and I'm seeing this impact 
I was in this coffee shop wrestling with this. God, I don't feel alive. If you say the glory of God is a man fully alive, why do I feel dead? Why do I feel numb? Why do I feel like I'm in a rut? And uh, I started processing my life. And here, here's, here's where I'm answering your question, Dale. I realized, okay, God, when I walk into a room as a youth pastor, middle school kids run. I'm a big, scary guy. I just had somebody just two days ago said, oh, I saw a, a WWE wrestler. He looks just like you. <laughs> I look like a wrestler. I'm, I'm a 260-pound, bald, muscular guy, and, and I'm kind of scary when you first see me, right? When you, when you first, once you know me, I'm, a, I'm not like that at all. But I realized my first impression with teenagers is like, whoa, they kind of step back. But when I walk into the gym, and all my life this has been like this, even, even to this day as a 53-year-old man, I walk into the gym, and all the young guys go, whoa, what's up? <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. that scene in Rocky Three when yeah. him and Apollo walk into that gym in, in East L.A., and they're like, mm-hmm, what's up? And so I was like, man, guys respect me for that. You know, I, I hunt and I fish, and I'm actually good at hunting, and I, I kill stuff. You know, we killed four animals this year, so, so guys really connect with that stuff. You know, I, I just have this natural, I was raised to hunt and fish, and so I connect with that guy. And then I started thinking about this. When I communicate, who follows? And I realized, even though I'm a youth pastor who communicates to teenagers, they usually don't get that message till years later. But I realized that men resonate mm-hmm. with the things I say. So I'm built to attract men, to attract men in a positive, yeah. heterosexual way. Exactly. I'm I, My message is authoritative to men, and they listen. I do things that are considered manly. And uh, I've seen the wreckage from a fatherless culture and a manless church. And so I have a, and I've read hundreds of books on manhood. So if you were to take all that I've studied, I probably have a PhD in manhood. And since nobody else is studying manhood, I can claim that. And so I thought, okay, God, let's do it. I will step out in faith and do this thing. So when people question or say, what is your authority? I go, well, I've got more authority than any man out there working with men. And I may not have the PhD behind it or the dot, 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 or whatever it is, but I don't care about that stuff. And the men that we're trying to reach don't care about that stuff. And if you're a city slicker man that needs a, 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 some kind of initial behind my name, then you're not the guy I'm after. I'm not targeting that guy. Right. There are plenty of great guys doing great things with men in cities all around America. We are really, our target is guys that are similar to me. They're out there getting it done in the real world. And uh, I feel like we are authorities, authorities that way because we know how to interact with the real man better than most pastors who sit in an office all day long and never see the real world until Sunday morning, which is not the real world. That's just the pastoral face. That's just the the peep, your, your construction guy stops dropping the F-bombs and puts on a happy face and a, t- a nice shirt and goes to church. Right. So that that's that's where we have our authority. Right. Well, Besides Jesus. And I was asked that one time on an airplane ride where uh-huh. a lady looked over at me and uh, her broken Russian accent said, what makes you an authority on men? Yeah. How come you can talk about this stuff? What do you know that other people don't know? And it's like, well, we work with men. And don't you, you've done some psychology stuff in, in college as well, haven't you? Yeah, but that, that didn't transfer over. I'll tell you what, one of the greatest things that we've done that makes us an expert on manhood is we have had to date 205 podcast episodes. And probably 75 <laughs> or 80 of those have been with with world-class men who have written books or right. have done great things regarding manhood. And and we have sat at the feet of these guys, and nobody else out there has done that. There are a lot of guys out there right now doing some cool things for men, but as far as having a podcast that interviews these world-class Christian men, we're the only one that's really interviewing world-class Christian authors. 
Most guys don't do that. They're interviewing guys and having a conversation like we're having, but we're actually diving into their research and interviewing about their research. And I think that makes us an expert. Yeah, it's like we're going to a conference every week. Every week. <laughs> yeah, we've got a guy on in about another half an hour, and he's he's written two books, and he's started orphanages, and he started a national prisons ministry. And, and these are the guys that we have on our podcast, and these are just our everyday guy. Right. Well, hey, let's just dive in here. In chapter yeah. one, you talk about man law violations, <laughs> and uh, I know there's some joking around and, yeah. and things like that. Uh, we talk about, you know, you're not supposed to send emojis or memes and things like that. Which I do <laughs> that, usually the middle finger emoji to you. <laughs> yeah. uh, last night I didn't send you any, did I? And it's so. funny, if you send a heart emoji, like, no, no, it's not a heart emoji. It's something like that, though, or a tongue emoji or something. It looks like a uterus. Oh, so we had a guy send some kind of emoji for a hamburger, and we thought he wanted to order a uterus hamburger. So, pretty funny. That's funny. In the book, in chapter one, you talk about a lot, a bunch of man law violations. Yeah, and they're pretty funny. Um, and so now, every time I go in the restroom, and uh, there's the urinals lined up, and I had this happen to me recently. Oh, dude, some dude walked right next to me, and I'm like, seriously, bro. There are empties all around me, and you stand next to me. What is wrong with you? I yeah. wanted to, when I was yeah. done, I really, I wanted to go behind him and just like push his butt with my foot real quick and make a pee on himself. He probably wanted you to tap it. So, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, it's funny because when I walk into a bathroom and I do a lot of traveling, I'm in a lot of airports, I don't even go for the urinals first. I go first st stall. And if there's no stall, then I go urinal farthest away from any dude up there. Mm -hmm. And so absolutely. So yeah, it's just, yeah, you got to be really careful there. But but yeah, th so those are all funny because, man, we are confused and we have man laws. And so if you break a man law, you hear this phrase, give me back your man card, right. which is where ma the man card came from. But, you know, really, there are some myths out there about manhood that I think we need to really identify. And one of those myths is, hey, you know, first of all, uh, manhood is not your job or title. So... So your career, your your financial portfolio does not make you a man. I know millionaires who are children. Uh, you know, just because you know in in baseball, with pitchers now they go by a mathematic equation. So they can go your height, your stride, your arm length. They can tell your maximum output as a pitcher. So if you're a short, stocky pitcher. You're not going to make it to Major League Baseball, uh, generally speaking, because you're, you don't have your mathematic equation will only get you so far. So if I'm a six foot five, lanky, you know, s s uh, uh, southpaw from Louisiana or Texas, and I've got this mathematic equation, I can be a 20 year old multi multi millionaire. Does that make me a man? Mm -hmm. No. And here's the other thing: Jesus had no place to lay his head. And he was the ultimate man. Our friend Jeff Voth calls him the ultimate alpha. He's the ultimate alpha and omega. So the other thing is social status, portfolio, those things don't make you a man. But your talents and abilities don't make you a man. Just because you can kill an animal, just because you can fix something, that does not make you a man. A man is not your abilities or your talents. And, so, and another thing, a man is not about your biology. Just because you can stand up and write your name in the snow, you know? Right. Uh, just because you have, you know, pubic hair down there, that, you know, you're not magically a man. In Oregon, it's funny because you have to take a hunter safety course, but once you're 18, you can just walk into any store and buy a hunting license. So apparently at 18, you're no longer a dumbass who can kill somebody, you can now, you're now mature enough to go shoot something without taking a hunter safety course. So, right. you know, uh, I remember you know, being 18. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it wasn't that, good. the stupid year started 18. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, you can go to war at 21, 
you know, you can you can you can drink a beer at 21 legally. You can uh, own, you can buy handguns in Oregon at 21, but that does not make you a man. The chronological age does not make you a man. I know 80 year old children, and so there's this concept that I'm a man. I'm a man. No, you're a male masquerading in a man's body, and so we need to be really careful with that. And so a lot of we have a lot of guys who think that's. Uh, the case. So chronological age does not make you a man. Biology does not make you a man. When it comes down to it, Dale, and the premise of this book is very simple, it's this. A man is as a man does. That is the premise of the book. Right. Well, we had a guest on one time that he thought that he needed to be able to um, break a beer bottle and eat the glass. And that's, you know, somehow he had this vision of this is what people think a man is. Uh, you do climb into that jacked up pickup truck. You uh, have all the guns and you whack stuff, and and uh, so you're saying that is not the case. So no, and and uh, you know having to sex with a lot of women, right? How how does how does cheating on your wife that you've never married make you a man? Mm-hmm. I, I would I would argue it makes you less of a man. I had a guy tell me, well, I've had I'm, I've been single with 40, 50 year old guy, a lot of problems with drugs and alcohol, and he said, hey man, I've had sex with two hundred women. I said, I've had sex with one woman 2,000 times. So who's got the PhD in sex, biatch? I mean, you know, it's like, I'm just like, I hate to use that, but it's like, you know, you you think your man's been 200 200 women, half of them were drunk, half of them, most of them were probably to satisfy you. I've been with one woman 2,000 times, and baby, it's all about her. I've got a PhD in her body and and making love to her and having intimate experiences with her. And so, hey, Dale, if it's all right with you, man, I'd like to... Uh, get into our uh, sponsorship for uh, this podcast. Is that all right with you if I jump into that? I'll let you do it this time. Oh, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Go for it. Hey, the Men in the Arena podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to help men become their best version and change their world. Hey, guys, the war to change your world is epic. Every battle counts, and every man in the arena matters. Our closed Facebook forum called The Men in the Arena is another great dialogue about manhood with men from literally all around the world. There. We have respectful debate and lively discussion on every topic of manhood imaginable. Hey, and because we are passionate to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena, I want to offer something that most people won't offer. I want to offer a free resource with no gimmicks and no scams to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Give us your email. We'll send you a PDF copy of my field guide. This is my 365-day bathroom book for men. Simply keep it on the back of your toilet. Read one entry every morning. It's a study of manly words in the Bible illustrated with great stories. This is a great resource for you guys, and we're offering it to all the men in the arena. It's a great way for you to be reminded every day to step into your best version. Guys, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of the anonymous crowd and those you love pleading for you to get in the arena? When you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. And I'd like to uh, say on that, if you go to meninthearena.org on mm-hmm. the drop down, click on get your free field guide right there. You just fill out the information. You'll get a link emailed back to you that will have the um, file. So and you know what? This is it. a book that we've sold thousands of copies at 15 bucks a pop. So we're offering this free because we want to be an organization. There are a lot of guys out there making a lot of money off of manhood. 
Mm-hmm. We want to be an organization that's saying, listen, money is not our motivator. Making a difference is our motivator. And so we're taking a book that's wildly popular. We sell those off the shelves at our conferences, and we want to give it to the men. And this is a real unique book, deal because I wrote this book for my sons. Uh, right. These were these are entries I read. They're li- handwritten in about 25 journals sitting behind us mm-hmm. here. And uh, I, I picked these out and wrote these for my son, so one day my sons would enjoy this. And and so this is now a book, and it's a bathroom book for men. And so if if it comes from a guy who, who loves his sons and wrote this for his son, so surely it can impact the lives of those men who are listening today. You know what, too? Just a side note here. So many people are so frustrated with the politics and the way the world is going right now. And they, but what are they doing about it? This yeah. is saying we want to help change a culture, yes. and we're not getting anything yes. out of it. We just we're gonna we want to make a mark and change the culture. Agreed. So, anyways, back to the book here. In your chapter uh, two here, it's aim small, miss small. Now, when, yeah, I, when yeah. I read this, I'm thinking, you know, we have Noah. He's five, and uh, he aims wide and misses wide with the lid up <laughs> and, and that's exactly what i thought of when i when i read this chapter i'm like bro seriously every time i go in there after him, i'm like get yeah. in here you need to mop the bathroom spray and pray <laughs> so you're saying no spray and pray here aim small miss small can you explain that yeah it, it comes from a movie i watched years ago called the patriot with uh, mel gibson and in this scene his son is killed by a, a red coat officer and uh, he and his youngest sons uh, take their guns and they're burning. They run into the burning house. Mel Gibson grabs. Uh, he plays the the actor. His name. His his character is Benjamin Miller, I think. Anyway, he takes all the guns and ammo. They run uh, head this 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 uh, squad of uh, redcoats off. They get on a knoll. He hands his kids the, their guns. They're little guys. They're eight and ten years old. And he says, "Boys, aim small, miss small." So the, the concept is, if you're a hunter or if you're some kind of shooter of any kind, or if you like just to pee regularly standing up, you know, <laughs> don't aim at the toilet bowl. Aim at the little teeny hole down there at the bottom. The you know, so aim small. You know, if you're going to shoot an animal, aim at a patch of fur that's just ruffled just a little bit. Don't aim at the whole animal. Or if you're a military guy, aim at a button. Don't aim at the, at the man. And so aim small and miss small. And so that chapter was really the segue into the body of our book, which is this definition of manhood. So instead of spraying wide and just hoping we hit manhood somehow, this is saying, okay, guys, this is a succinct definition of a man. It's a definition that crosses religion, demographics, history. Uh, It transcends uh, all of these things. And so, guys, here is our definition. It's simple. It's complete. And it transcends all of the things. So that leads me right into my next question, which I think you're going into right now, is is what is that definition of manhood, and why did you come up with that? Yeah, it, it was an evolution, and so uh, I, I'm not going to lie. There was a, a book out there called Raising, of a, Raising a Modern Day Knight, and I can't—Robert Lewis wrote the book, and he's the man who's the president of the Authentic Manhood or Manhood Fraternity, manhood fraternity. and in that book, he was the first guy I've ever read or heard of that defined manhood, and his definition was a man accepts responsibility— rejects passivity, leads courageously, and expects a bigger reward. And so he had a fourfold definition of manhood. Uh, I love the definition. Uh, however, I thought it was churchy. I thought it was incomplete, and I thought it was a good start, but I didn't think it was a complete definition that crossed all all aspects of men, all men across time and across boundaries and across race and across religion. And so we wanted to come up with a definition of manhood that really did all that. 
And so as I broke this down with my team, I started thinking this through. I realized a man who doesn't accept responsibility, he's got a bigger problem, right? If you think of the fatherless generation, that man who's not accepting responsibility, really he has an integrity issue. And so if you, if you envision climbing a mountain, right, the trailhead, the, the start of manhood is protecting integrity. Uh, I, I have never met a, an a upstanding citizen. I've never met a real man who wants his kids to grow up to be liars, thieves, criminals, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cheaters, you know, guys that uh, are taken care of by others because they're unwilling to work. Well, you know, guys, we want our kids to be men of honor, men of integrity, men of character. And integrity to me is completeness or whole. It's, it's that piece of the puzzle that's all put together, not one piece missing. Those pieces are our character traits, right? There are, we have hundreds of different character traits, integrity, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, fidelity, uh, fit and physical health, um, honesty, uh, you know, you, you know, spirituality, uh, growth itself. There are all these different components to a man's character. Put together, that equals a man of integrity. And so we need to protect integrity because I can have integrity today, and tomorrow I can lose it all, and I can completely damage my reputation and my honor because I've allowed this integrity puzzle to fall apart. And so protecting integrity really is foundational to manhood, and it's also functional to manhood. You, you know, how many pastors have we seen fall from ministry in the last right. five years? Heroes of mine. Guys who have their books are on my bookshelf. You know, you know, dozens of these guys are falling all day. So, you know, just because you're in a position of power does not mean you're a man of integrity. So integrity is the functional and the foundational component of manhood. So we start there. And then the, the second component, and in uh, Lewis's definition, he called this rejecting passivity. But I, I, I like the sound of it, but the more I thought of it, the more I had issues with it because I, a man shouldn't be rejecting stuff. You know, my, my job is not to play defense all my life. Mm-hmm. I don't want to play defense. The men who play defense get into trouble. Football teams that go into a prevent offense in the last two minutes lose. It prevents you from winning. I didn't want to have a message to men that said, let's prevent you. Let's resist something. I don't want men to resist. I want men to fight. And so what I realize is there are so many voices coming out of the church today with the music, with the, with the, the, with the ambiance of the room, with the pastor himself and his fear of, uh, oftentimes fear of manly men. You know, this, this effeminate view in the church, you know, we get resistance in the church, we get resistance in the media. Uh, we have resistance from uh, women. The very women calling men up are sometimes the very women who are resisting them. And so there are a lot of pressures against man. Now, I'm a big guy, Dale. When I climb a mountain... You know, I do this death ruck, you know, 45 miles. When I hunt shuckers, when I hunt for deer, the uphill is tough for me because I'm a big guy and I have resistance, this little thing called gravity, <laughs> pushing me down the mountain, right? And so what we're telling guys, the second component of manhood is fighting apathy, that we have to fight against the resistances. We have to push against the forces trying to push us down the mountain. You know, when I when I hike, Dale, I wear uh, socks under my boots, but I also wear liner socks. Now, what liner socks do is they're a tight, thin sock, and they hold snug to your foot so your foot does not slide in the shoe. Oh. Because if your foot slides in the shoe, Calluses. that resistance forms a, ca- a blister and then a callus. Mm-hmm. So I wear these socks, just like a guy wears gloves, right? So he doesn't get blistered in calloused hands. And so, so I have to fight as a man against these resistances so that these resistances, these forces, these pressures do not hinder me. And honestly, uh, I believe fighting apathy is the greatest battle a man will ever fight. In the Bible, Jesus calls this callousness. 
And so men have to fight against this stuff to become their best version. They don't just wake up one day and go, I'm going to be my best version. <laughs> no, you got to fight like hell. Yeah. I'm, be- I'm being really honest. Yeah. And so, so that's that. So, the, the, so now I've climbed this mountain, the summit of manhood, the pinnacle of manhood, the apex of manhood. This is where I get theologically very simple, is pursuing God passionately. Now, notice the progressive present vo- verb form, pursuing, protecting fighting. This is a daily thing for, for men. So the pinnacle, the apex of manhood is pursuing God passionately. And and I have men tell me, well, I don't want to be a man. I want to keep doing what I'm doing. Or I don't want to... I don't want to Do they literally say they don't I, want to be a man? I don't want to do... I, I want to be a man, but I don't want to give my life to God okay. because I don't want to stop doing what I'm doing. I don't want to... And I don't... God will make me less of a man. I'm like, wait, hold on, buddy. Mm-hmm. God will make you more of a man. How can you ever achieve the apex of manhood, the summit of manhood, without radical devotion to the God who made you? Now, think about this logically, Dale. If God made me, right? And most guys believe that. I'm created by God. Mm -hmm. So if God made me, then he's got to have some kind of love for me, right? I'm part of his creation, right? We know the Bible says that God is good. So God made me. God is good. God loves me. Well, if he has those three things going, then God must have a plan for me right? Mm-hmm. So if I believe that God has a plan for me, that God loves me, that God made me, that God is good, God also wants to have a relationship with me, right? Because he loves me. So I've got all these things working in my favor. How will I ever accomplish the mission that God has set for me without radically pursuing him? And this is where men miss the mark. They don't pursue God passionately. They may be a, quote, Christian. They may go to church. They may be listening to this podcast on the way to work. But to radically purposefully, passionately pursue God. That is the summit of manhood. And so the backside of manhood or the descent of manhood is something I noticed after 25 years of ministry that oftentimes men in the church will hand their children off to the youth pastor or hand their children off to the the, uh, children's pastor or hand their wife off to the senior pastor. You know, And so they'll come on Sunday and expect the church to take care of their family. There are guys I know that have not changed in 25 years. Mm -hmm. And this is a problem because men are made to lead. Men are made to sacrifice. Men are made to be Jesus to their families. Men do not defer spiritual leadership. I can delegate anything except final responsibility. And when I see men, man after man after man after man, delegating their family's spiritual growth to others, it's disheartening to me. And it's the easiest thing in the world to do because there are so many resources out there. But a man leads courageously. He stands up against the, the waves and against the, the, the push of society. He says, I'm going to lead. I'm going to lead my... I've got a guy in California who's a great friend who's now trying to lead after 55 years. He's a 55-year-old man trying to lead his family, and they're pushing on him. Because they're like, this isn't the guy we're used to. Well, this mm-hmm. is the best version. Right. So now this... I'm moving into my best version now, so... And he's navigating these waters that his family, it's shock and awe, right? But he's getting there. He's gaining headway. It's really fun to watch. And so the last thing is uh, finishing strong. So we have the protected integrity is the trailhead. Fighting apathy is the summit, is the climb. The summit of manhood is pursuing God passionately. The descent is leading courageously. And the trail's end is simply uh, finishing strong. And I'll be really honest with you on this one, Dale. This is maybe the one one of the four aspects of manhood that I have a trip chip on my shoulder. Today is December 20th that we record this episode. Tomorrow is the sixth year anniversary 
of the day my stepdad committed suicide. And I'm staring right now at a box mm-hmm. that on this box is written found next to the body. The bo- This box contains the Remington Model 700 270 that, was cha- that he used to take his own life. And the gun came back to us a year later from the sheriff's department in that box. And I had to clean the blood and the stuff off of that gun before I sold the gun. Say, how long ago was that again? In 2012. So this is the sixth anniversary. And that box has been in your office since. As a reminder to yeah. finish strong instead of finish, finishing wrong. I he think was, more of us need reminders like that. Well, yeah. Our- and I mean, and here's the thing, man. My stepdad was an awesome dude. He was really a great guy, great dad, stepdad, fun guy to be around, treated my mom well for a very, very long time. But so now we're left with question marks. We don't understand why he did it. And I thought of myself, I thought, how many men leave this world with a question mark? Or they leave this world with an ellipsis, which is a dot, dot, dot. Or they leave this world with a comma. Or they leave this world with a semicolon or a dash. Well, I want to leave this world with an exclamation point. You know, in John 1930, uh, John's the only one that records this. Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. All the other synoptic accounts, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record he he cried out and then gave up his spirit. Well, John... That crying out were the words, it is finished. And then in some Bibles, every Bible I own has an exclamation mark. Some Bibles don't have the exclamation mark because realize that these language, the Hebrew and Greek languages didn't have punctuation. So they had to do different ways to punctuate in English. So my Bible translations always have an exclamation mark because I want to finish my life the way Jesus finished his with a war cry and not a whimper, right? right. And so that's the last chapter of the book. It's a, it's one. Of, this book ends better than it starts, and most right. books start... Great and don't end great. This book right. ends with an exclamation point. I, man, if you're going to read anything, guys, just read the last chapter. Right. And so, I want to live my life with an exclamation point. I want to live my life for that day. I want to scratch and claw and climb and get to heaven and, and I finish the race and finish strong. And guys ask me, well, how do I do that? Well, to finish life strong is simple, and it's it's simply finishing every day strong, compounded over time. So our guys listening to this podcast are from 25 to 45, 50 years old with kids in the house. And I would tell those guys, when you get home from work and you're tired, it's time to get your game face on because how you finish today is everything about how you finish your life. Right. And so a man protects is all about protecting integrity. This is the man card, protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, Leading courageously and finishing strong. I hope I didn't take that, it too no, much. No, that's explaining that's so that. Good. I wanted to explain it in a way that guys go, "Oh, I see the picture. I see the mountain. No, I that's, see it. That's good." And I, it reminds me, my my granddad uh, Dale Culver, he retired, but he didn't really retire. Yeah. When he retired, he just started. He was at the church more often than before, doing stuff. And as a seven year old man, he like fell off the roof and broke his back. Whoa. Well, he got back up, you know, when he healed, and he'd be underneath the church banging concrete out of the way to put a new drain pipe in. Almost had a heart attack. Well, I had a mild heart attack. He continued, and he died wow. in his 90s, but I have a picture of him and Grandma. Every morning they would get up, and they would do a devotional, and there's a picture wow. of them holding hands, praying together. Wow. And he finished, he finished strong. Yeah. He, every day. It, you didn't get a chance to check out. I'm yeah. done. I'm going to coast from here. He kept serving, kept giving away his life. That is so good, man. So one of the things that really gets me is that uh, we uh, this this chapter here or section is protecting integrity. Yeah. And there's this fight for integrity. Yes. And um, one of the things that you have in here is a story about your um, 
your your slip disc. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was. Fun. And I remember those days. I was around you then, yeah. and it was um, paralyzing. Yep. Um, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So, and that that disc, I I, I was at, at working out, and I was doing some high compression type of moves, box jumps, double unders, the jump rope, uh, a lot of things like this. You know, climbing a rope and jumping off the rope, you know, fifteen feet high, and and so this disc in my back between my L five and S one vertebrae moved a millimeter back, right? And so a disc is this uh, gel-ish object, maybe the size of a silver dollar, in between your bone, your vertebrae. And it moved a millimeter into my neural canal, and it created stenosis. Stenosis is when your neural canal is touched by something and and it, it inflames. And so I had nerve pain from my all the way radiating down my leg, my right leg, my hamstring, my calves, and I couldn't feel the right outside of my foot for about a year and a half, two years. And I couldn't stand up straight. (laughs) I I couldn't work. I couldn't sit. Anything that required my nerve bending in that leg, right? Because it's not flexible. You know, it doesn't stretch. And so I'd have to lay flat, or if I'd go to speaking events, I'd I'd roll into my truck, and I could stand up maybe for a little bit, or I could lay down. I just was in constant, constant, horrible pain. And what I realized is that disc moving just a millimeter, getting out of alignment caused tremendous damage and tremendous pain, and, and I couldn't even stand upright. And I realized men are the backbones of their families. And if a man is just a millimeter, just a little one degree out of alignment, he greatly hinders his family and their growth because he no longer is upright uh, in his integrity. He no longer is complete. He no longer is in alignment it's like the out-of-alignment truck going down the road, and this guy needs to do that. So I had a, a rough two-year object lesson to help guys so, you know, to, you know, to move away and move out of their secret lives of sins and to put that sin in the light and to get guys around them to help them and to, to find areas where they're out of alignment and fix it, whether it's financial alignment, spiritual alignment, sexual alignment, you know, whatever it is. And that's a huge component of life because if your integrity is out of alignment, Everything else is out of alignment. You won't pursue God passionately. You won't fight apathy. You won't lead courageously, and you won't finish strong. And over time, you not being able to work out and being laid out, your influence would eventually be diminished, I'm assuming, where you would probably just gain a ton of weight. You would not be as effective as you were before. Yeah. And you're ultimately taken out of the game. Yeah, you're slowed down, you're hindered, you're, you're carrying extra baggage. Yeah, I was completely hindered. I couldn't do anything. I definitely did not work out for a long time. And this is a physical thing used to just give an illustration for these sins or yeah. secret hidden things in our life that maybe we don't realize we're, we're creeping down this road. Yeah. One of the things that I've seen is sometimes is there's men who are, they're, they're, they will not allow themselves to be humbled or allow guys to call them out on yeah. their stuff. Yeah. How important is that? That's a that's a huge character flaw. That's that piece of the puzzle of integrity that is missing when a guy has this hubris or this arrogance in his life or where he is not people don't feel appro- that he is approachable. That guy will never become his best version because we can't get up the mountain alone. This is what guys need to realize. You can't climb the mountain alone. You need to partner with other guys. You need to tether yourself with like-minded men. And so if you're going to be that guy who doesn't have any problems, who doesn't have any flaws, pastors are 
huge violators of this, right? The perfect pastor, my life has got it together. And so we need to be very open and upfront with, you know, I'm not saying get up there from the pulpit or get up there and share your dirty laundry with everybody, but find some trusted people in your life right? that you can share everything. I mean, there are things I, I mean, I share most things with my wife, but there are things I don't share with my wife. She doesn't understand the, she doesn't understand some of the sexual temptations because she doesn't deal with that stuff. So I have a group of guys in my life that I, I air that laundry with, right? Mm-hmm. But I have people who know my dirty laundry, and they still care about me because they're tethered together, and they climb up the mountain with me. And so I think the guy that lives isolated is a guy who's who's never going to walk into that best version. And right. I, when I say never, I mean it. Yeah, We all know that, that the wolf... Uh, pack is going to pick off the weak one. We know this, mm-hmm. but still we do it to ourselves. We try to isolate ourselves because we're we're afraid of what might come from that. Totally. So you, I'm reading ahead here, and I came to the the chapter of pursuing the right trophies. Oh yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I remember seeing the illustration where you uh, take all your trophies from high school and college, or maybe it was just high school. No participation you, trophies. And you threw. Flipped the table over and they all yeah. fell down and broke. Yes. What are these trophies that you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. So here? I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I think men we tend to pursue the wrong trophies. So we're made to conquer. We're made to work. Right. We're made for pressure. So we thrive under these circumstances. So, so in in our society, we we live in a very affluent society during a very affluent time of life, where men can uh, pursue a bigger house. Men can pursue a bigger car. Men can pursue bigger toys. Men can pursue leisure hobbies. I mean, I hunt, and and I hunt, but I don't have to hunt because I can go to the grocery store and buy stuff, right? So hunting for me, a lot of it is leisure, you know. So I have this this huge affluent. I have a room for my guns. I have a room for my cars. I have a room for my tools. I have a yard that I only use to look good for people who drive by who I don't even know. I don't cultivate it. I don't use it for fruit or vegetables. We live in an affluence. I have a toilet that flushes. I have running water. I have a heater in my house that heats my house without wood. I mean, we live in a very affluent society. You have three toilets that flush. Yes, I do. Three toilets. You're first. loaded. Yeah. It's scary that you know that. Have you been creeping on me when I sleep at night? Yes, I have. But, uh, but what I'm saying is we have we in our society have a temptation to pursue the wrong trophy. And in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, Paul says, forgetting what is behind me, I press on. And that word press on, it's a Greek, it's one Greek word, and it's the Greek word dioko, D-I-O-K-O. And it's a hunting word. It's also a track and field word that means I pursue, I chase after. And so our original organizational name was the Great Hunt for God. And and uh, when we talk about pursuing the right trophies, it's saying we need to pursue God. We need to chase God. We need to, I don't want to sound sacrilegious, but hunt after God and pursue him. He's not a squishy God. He's not a wimpy God. He's not a passive God. He's not a pansy God. He is a God of the universe. And he says in Jeremiah 29, 13, if you seek me with all of your heart, I will let you find me. And people, a lot of people don't find God. Christian people don't find God because they don't pursue him the way they should. Yes, he's all around. I get that. Yes, he's omnipresent. Yes, he's there. And yes, he's always speaking to us. I get it. I, under, I agree with that. But the problem with many men today is they don't pursue God like they pursue that career or the next level in their portfolio or that that hobby or that next great golf club in their golf club set or that next gun for their gun safe or that next, you know, whatever it is. God needs to be the ultimate trophy that we pursue. Right. 
That's so good. And I, I know guys that uh, they'll go on YouTube when they get excited about something. They watch every single video on the topic. They know it front and back. Yep. And so I mean, they spend hours and hours yeah. researching it, and they know it. And, and they will regurgitate the information they get. And I'm going, dude, how do you have that much time? But if you put that same amount of energy into pursuing God— yeah, it's amazing what would happen. All right, here's my last one for okay. you that uh, really stuck out to me is uh, your chapter on tip of the spear and leading by example. Yeah, talk to me about that. Well, I mean, we can say what we want as men, you know, um, but we have to live. You know, there's a saying, you know, you preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. And they they credit that to Francis Assisi, but the the bottom line is the speech they pulled it from. We don't even know if it, he said it. He really didn't actually say that exact thing. We don't know who said it. We think it's made up. Uh, and, and really, that's great, Pre, you know, be an example. But at some point, we got to open our mouth, and mm -hmm. we got to say something. Mm -hmm. So the tip of the spear is a guy who verbally leads by his verbal cues and verbal coaching, and physically, he leads by an example. We are the tip of the spear. So in archery or in, you know, whatever, that spear is the cutting edge. So it is the first object of penetration. So guys, we need to go ahead of everybody else. We are, we, are, we are taking the maximum brunt of the impact. We are taking the hits, right? When you get a, you know, oftentimes when I shot my elk, my arrow, my broadhead is just destroyed, right? Because it's cutting through bone. And so it is the tip. It is the, it is the first point of contact. It is the cutting edge. It is the thing that takes the brunt of it all. And as men, we get out in front of our families and say, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. And so we are, whether we like it or not, whether we defer leadership or not, we are the tip of the spear. Right. So the, the, normally they say that it's the wife that starts going to church, and then the family uh, will slowly follow. She'll take the kids, and then maybe the husband will catch on. But not, not as much as if the man gets up and goes and leads his family, then the rest fall in line. Well, usually. here's the problem. When a man gets it, everyone wins. Biblically... And practically. So right. I wish churches would understand this in their budgets. If you reach a man, Baptist Press came out with a survey. If you reach a man, there's a 93% chance. People quote Vinny's statistics. I found the statistic. Baptist Press, 93% chance he will, if he comes to Christ, the family will follow. With a woman, when she comes to Christ, there's a 17% chance. Why is that? Well, because the men are stubborn. Biblically, in the New Testament, we see over and over again, Cornelius got saved in his family. This per The jailer got saved in his whole household. This guy got saved in his whole household. Over and over in Scripture, we see when a man gets saved, everyone wins. Mm -hmm. Why we don't get this in the church, why we dump our resources and completely divert them from the very men who are providing them is beyond me. Mm -hmm. But that's what I'm talking about. When right. a man gets it, everyone wins. Man, when you get it, everyone wins, so you need to get it. That's so good. Hey, so guys, we got to do our, this is our, we're doing something new this year. We're calling it our boots on the ground moment. And so this is a kind of a now what moment. Uh, we want to get our boots on the ground. We want to get in the arena floor. We want to get out of the bleachers and jump on the wet battle sand. And so every week what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an assignment. And uh, it's just our boots on the ground moment. And this one is really, really simple, guys. I don't do this very often. We are we are not motivated by money, but I'm going to ask you to do a, do me some a favor here. Do me a solid. I want you to go to Amazon, and if you type in the man card Jim Ramos, the book will pop up. I think on Amazon it's listed for fifteen dollars. Mm -hmm. I want you to go grab at least one copy of this book, buy it, get a couple copies for those you those guys in your life that you care about, your guys you're locked arm with, you're tethered with, maybe your sons. Get several of these copies. 
get these into the hands of people, and I want you to go write a review on Amazon about the book. No gimmicks. We don't care about a five-star rating. We don't care about being a bestseller on Amazon. But I want you to pick up this book, not because I need you to pick up this book. We are a donor-supported ministry. I do not own this book. The Men in the Arena, as an organization, owns this book. But I want you to pick up this book because I think this book will give you a roadmap to your best version. I want you to pick up this book for you and not for me. This is a book that will help you in your journey to manhood. So if you would pick that up, I think you'll really be blessed. I think it's really going to help you. So guys, you've been listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. We have an amazing, amazing resources to help you in your journey towards your best version. If you haven't done so yet, go and download our free Men in the Arena app. It has tons of resources to come alongside you in your journey to manliness. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Men in the Arena podcast. And if you haven't done so already, join the Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men where we have daily dialogue and heated discussion about what a man is. So guys, join us in building an army of men in the arena who are becoming their best version and changing their world because you know it, I know it, Dale knows it. When a man gets it, everyone wins. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Right now. Be a man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world on our closed Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. In our passion to help all arena men, we're offering an excellent free resource when you visit our homepage at meninarena.org. Simply give us your email, and we'll send you a free PDF version of Jim's book for men called The Field Guide, a bathroom book for men. It's a daily study of manly words in the Bible explained with great stories. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Marina podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, thank you for joining men in the arena from around the world who are becoming their best version. And remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.